I'm finna put all this in my book bag because I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. Boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition and welcome to another episode of the MYFB podcast. And today I have with me a cybersecurity, well, a privacy specialist that is uh, specializing within the healthcare uh, policy uh, of cybersecurity, which is the uh, HIPAA policy. Today I have with me Amy Woods, Miss Amy Wood. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you actually got into um, privacy and healthcare privacy and security. Sure. So what I do in my daily life is I try to educate people to, um, to use common sense, which I know is sorely lacking these days. <laughs> common sense is not that common. Uh, but I, I try to take a common sense approach to compliance and give people the opportunity to protect themselves and to protect the patients that are entrusting them with their care. Um, how I got into this, uh, I had been working in IT with my husband and we catered to kind of the redheaded stepchildren of healthcare, the dentists, ophthalmologists, chiropractors, the, the outliers of mainstream healthcare. Nice. And um, I decided to throw in a major jaw realignment surgery in there while I had, had this young business and young babies at home. And um, I had op upper and lower orthognathic realignment, um, rejected my titanium, had to have all that taken out. Um, a lot of weird stuff that happened. And then I got a letter in the mail saying that my x-rays were involved in a data breach because oh. the front desk person at the imaging center where these panoramic x-rays were taken had never worked with an IT department. They only hired a IT guy to fix things hourly. And in the process of transitioning things to the hospital that had just purchased them, uh, she had made an unauthorized copy onto a unencrypted thumb drive and lost it. Um, Years later, I work with the FBI, I work with various government agencies, I, I do all these data breaches, attorneys, like I'm around all the people that help facilitate everything uh, with HIPAA. And um, that's really my why I, you know, all these years later, I'm worth a lot on the dark web, but I still feel like I think the most I was worth was about $385, which seems a little insulting given what I do now. <laughs> and really what I do now is I try to provide tools for people to not have a data breach. And if they are in the unfortunate circumstance of having a data breach, uh, to try to minimize the damage. So it's not a catastrophic incident. Wow. So, you know, for those of you listening, I think, uh, you know, while I was in corporate America, we kind of work on different ends of the spectrum, you more so in compliance, uh, and myself being more of the engineering side of the house. Um, <clears throat> and what I really found is interesting is that uh data breaches are a lot more prevalent than you know we we give credit for so w what are some of the uh more interesting data breaches that you've uh come across within the healthcare field because i think we hear a lot about you know what's going on with opm if the government has a breach we hear about that if you know equifax has a breach we we really care about that and you know, we paid attention with Sony and with Target, but what what is so interesting about the healthcare side of the house and what is so nefarious about uh, healthcare breaches as well? Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of categorize things into the types of data breaches that happen, whether it's paper, whether it's electronic records. Um, weirdly enough, I, I've gotten a lot of calls about people losing paper records or having paper records stolen. Wow. And it's it's because they've forgotten about them and they're not protecting them like they should. Um, from a digital records standpoint, it's tied up with a nice, neat little bow in one one package that a cyber criminal is going to try to take. And what, what people don't realize is that we as citizens, we're providing people, we're entrusting people rather with information that sometimes they are not, they're not protecting it to the, the level that we expect them to. And so we're putting a lot of faith and a lot of trust into people that quite frankly, don't deserve it. Um, mm. And, you know, what I see a lot of right now, especially in the smaller businesses, the smaller healthcare practices, uh, is a lot of ransomware 
and ransomware is almost entirely preventable with a little bit of basic business best practices and and a whole lot of common sense. No, I I I like the um the approach that you're taking to it as well because you know if, if you are hit by a ransomware attack there there needs to be some sense of you know data leak prevention some sort of securities that you've put in place that really make people feel uh secure so what advice do you have for the individuals right because you know the, it's been you know uh what what I want to say is that, that I, I've never come across a time in this industry where the little person had a stick, right? The uh, the little person, the uh, individual, typically, they don't really have a say. A lot of times they don't understand how the technology is working. They don't understand the, how, you know, their data may be at risk. They don't even understand how, um, how much their data is worth. So what what do you see happening or changing within the industry that gives the people a say and gives them the information that they need uh to be empowered to actually you know give a uh worthwhile opinion on this matter so there are actually some rights within HIPAA for patients. Uh, you know, every time you go to a doctor or a hospital, they give you this thing called a notice of privacy practices and nobody ever reads it. Um, I'm the weirdo that reads it <laughs> everywhere I go. No, I get it. <laughs> well, I, I read all the contracts too, but that's because I, I know better. The average person isn't going to read that, but right. there are common things. Like as patients, we have a right to receive a copy of our records. Um, we have a right to inspect our records and request amendments if we feel that anything is inaccurate. Um, there's actually a movement within the government right now, Office for Civil Rights is a, a division of Health and Human Services. They're the people that enforce HIPAA. So if as patients, we feel like anything isn't right, we can actually go and report a perceived violation that will be investigated. Um, and right now, Office for Civil Rights is hyper-focused on uh, patients being able to receive and access and request amendments to a copy of their, their records. Um, there have been quite a few fines and penalties from the government for that, that action alone. Wow. Nice, nice. Okay, so obviously for, you know, for a small business to say that they are going to invest in your services and trying to keep them, you know, their uh, data private and trying to protect those, uh, those crown jewels, so to speak they actually have to see you know that the investment is worth worthwhile right so what is the cost of investment versus the cost of the fines that may come down if you are part of a data breach as a small business owner well i don't want people to be so focused on the fines i mean i've done hundreds of these and the reality is the government doesn't want to find people the fines that are given are to uh offenses that are especially egregious mm -hmm. so people that are rude and ignorant to the investigator or they say hipaa doesn't apply to me because i'm a dentist i actually heard that one once <laughs> i'm like no no you have patient information it, it, it counts <laughs> um and so really what ends up happening is it's not the cost of the fine or penalty. And I hear so many people in consulting and media talk about the fines and penalties. Yeah, sure, they're scary. But if you've gotten to a point where you receive a fine or penalty, you've screwed up way before then. Gotcha. Um, but the mitigation is really where the cost is. So things like attorneys and uh, computer forensics and replacing all the things that allowed the data breach to happen in the first place. Um, and then potential patient lawsuits. Almost every state now has a private right of action law which allows for patient lawsuits. And um, it, I've seen it anywhere from a couple hundred dollars in expense all the way up to a couple hundred thousand dollars in expense. Wow. And sometimes insurance doesn't cover all of those things. Mm. So where would you recommend that someone who is, you know, they they have a small practice, maybe they're they're starting up their uh chiropractic firm or you know, they they're opening up a dentist's office. Where would you recommend that they start with getting HIPAA compliant? 
Well, the first thing is knowledge is power. Uh, and there's a wide variety of education that's available. You can hire a actual uh, HIPAA consultant, like someone like me to do it. You can do pre-recorded videos. Um, it really depends on how in-depth you want to go and how, how valuable you view that training. Um, most people will look at education as dollar for dollar. It's the best investment you can make in your business and your team. Uh, next, you have to do a risk analysis. You have to find out where all your vulnerabilities are and then start offsetting those risks in various ways. Gotcha. Um, for me, my biggest question mark with every business is what vendors are you using? What third-party business associates are you engaging with? Um, because they're not all created equal. And salespeople can say one thing, uh, but HIPAA has different requirements. So, uh, you know, we ask lots and lots and lots of questions. And I've, I've had vendors over the years threaten to sue me just for asking questions. I've had uh, vendors just flat out lie to me when I know, you know, certain information just by being in the industry for a while. Um, but really... It's okay to be a little paranoid. Well, healthy dose of paranoia is good in this, this case. Um, and then you have to start making policies and procedures and contingency plans and then add your technology so that they all align in the right way. And the main goal with all of this is to create a multi-layered defense system with your people, your process, and your technology so that if something happens, it's a minor inconvenience and not a major catastrophe. Wow. Okay, so let, let's switch gears a little bit. And let's say you have someone who is listening to this podcast right now. And they're saying, you know, I want to get into this, you know, industry, but I want to get into this from the entrepreneur side of the house, where would you recommend that they start? And where what opportunities do you see within privacy moving forward, that could open up for entrepreneurs? Um, I've actually seen quite a bit of it. There are a lot of companies and a lot of investors right now that are trying to automate this. Um, the unfortunate part is that you can only automate so much. Mm. So um, a lot of human intuition and experience really comes into play when, when doing thorough risk analysis. So there's, there's certain things like education platforms can be automated. Um, that's a worthwhile investment, um, you know, in investing as a sponsor, uh, for certain educators while they're out speaking to the masses, that's a, a definitely a worthwhile way to spread your, your message. Um, you know, I've, I've had people do that with me where they created a cloud practice management system or, uh, you know, appointment reminder companies or third-party tangential companies that they understand that, Hey, we need to get on board with this. Um, you can work in healthcare. You just have to be a little bit better than most making, making it work and making it secure two different things. That, that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, from my time in the industry, it's, you know, there, there's band-aids and there's actual fixes. And, you know, a lot of times companies can be adverse to investing in the fix because it is more expensive, sometimes more time consuming, but it lasts longer. So I, I think it's always worth the investment or at least the consideration. Um, for, for yourself, what role do you think, um, you know, companies that pop up and maybe do uh, policy and procedure templates or, you know, some of the videos templates that you were mentioning, uh, do you think there's going to be room for content creators to come in and to uh, not just make educational content uh, for these places, but uh, also the procedure route, right? One of the things that I've been talking to people about within corporate is uh, vid having videos of the procedures versus just the uh, written down. So, and do you think that there's space within the industry for that? Uh, are you seeing things go along that path as the generations start to change? Well, you just gave me a great idea for my next improvement. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's, there's always opportunity. Unfortunately, especially the smaller healthcare providers, they want quick, easy, and cheap. Mm. And 
like I said, in the 90s, HIPAA was sold as similar to OSHA, and you can just finish it as a checklist solution. Um, but improving those things over time and making them more specific to a business and, and adding security, there's there's opportunity for a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of companies. It, it just people have to remember that HIPAA applies across the board, security applies across the board. And if they keep that in mind, they can be a really great option for the healthcare sector. I, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And I also want to just kind of tell business owners like, hey, you, you're kind of getting away with murder here because legislation is maybe 50 years behind where it should be on these topics, right? And that's just throwing a number out there, but it's proven. Every time there's a data breach, there's no repercussions. There's no way that you can say whether or not the company is at fault. And if you do figure out that they're at fault, the worst that we do is find them. Uh, and that does not replace the damage that it creates in the lives of the people that it destroys. Because identity thefts can toss a, an average family hundreds of thousands and they don't have hundreds of thousands to play with. And these are, this is the, just the facts of it. Uh, Cybercrime is the way of the future. And if you're not getting educated about it, uh, you're gonna have a rough time. Yeah. What's more concerning for me right now is, uh, is children. Mm. And I, I have young kids, I have tweens and my house is super fun right now, by the way, <laughs> um, just having kids that age, all girls too. And oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're involved in extracurricular activities that are mm. volunteer led. And so sometimes the parents don't understand the value of the information that they're collecting and storing and sending through free email accounts. And, you know, it, it's just kind of scary. Like my girls are in uh, Boy Scouts and I know it sounds weird, but it, it's better organization. It runs better for them. It's 2022. I don't have to go camping with them. My husband's all on board with doing that. It's no, great. No, that sounds like a cheat code, right? So I'm going to tell all the moms listening, check out Boy Scouts for yeah. all the kids. And then you get a weekend all by yourself to sit and watch Dirty Dancing and drink a bottle of wine by yourself. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I did that last weekend. And As you should. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And um, so they ask for all kinds of information. They they want my kids' social security numbers, their birth dates. Uh, they want health information, uh, vaccine statuses on everything. And they want all of this emailed to them to an unencrypted email account. And so, you know, me being me, I, I was a little bit of a rabble rouser, but I was also... I was advocating for my kids because they have, they have these identities that they're not usable yet, but as soon as they turn 16, a cyber criminal absolutely is taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt before these kids even get a chance to open their first checking account or a school loan or a car loan or rent their first place on their own. It, and it, it, it's really ironic to me that this isn't something that we hear about more that's coming up in curriculum uh for these kids because it went as i was learning it it's it's become such a big deal right while i was in the military it was declared that the cyber domain is the new domain of warfare and they meant that this has really been a thing a lot of the major attacks that people hear about they're, they're not little hackers anymore they're nation state actors and this means that you have governments that have basically unlimited budgets that can touch each one of our lives with impunity because there's no law around this. Nope. There's it's very the wild, little, wild west. <laughs> yes. So the, the, the lack of education around it is really scary. And when you get into the fields, you realize that there is this education. There, there are these people that have this understanding but it's not making its way out to the people. So, you know, definitely I'm glad about what you do and I'm hoping that we can inspire more people to stand up and say, hey, I'd like to be an educator and uh, get some of that information out there. Yeah, we need more people in various 
verticals. Um, I, I tend to specialize more in, in the dental space, mm-hmm. uh, have a soft heart for, for dental, especially given all the stuff I did with my, my jaw surgery and everything. Really? I don't like them. It's something about the drills and the pokers. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're kind of magical in the healthcare space. I mean, they're, they're technically mm. microsurgeons. That, yeah, technically. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they only operate in this space. And it, I find it very interesting that um, dental professionals are actually one of the few in the healthcare space that can identify um, like people of human trafficking, um, sexual assault, elder mm. abuse. I mean, there's a lot of information in this amount of space. And wow. people tend to go to the dentist instead of an emergency room for issues with the mouth. So I, I feel like dental professionals are kind of the, the superheroes. Well, I, I feel like you're kind of a superhero based off <laughs> of what you just linked in, because, you know, think about how important it is to protect the data of, you know, the, the, the same data that we use to identify bodies. If we are identifying, like you said, people from human trafficking, um, if we're identifying uh, IED victims overseas, we're going to use dental records. So these people are actually a essential uh, part of the American fabric. If we run out of dentists, cops have a much harder time doing their job. So and they're stressed on- out. They're, it, it's hard to run a dental business. Wow. Um, very interesting fact, uh, dental insurance rates and reimbursement rates have not changed much in the last 30 to 40 years. Wow. Okay. So, so the cost of a crown is a little pretty much the same as it was when we were born. And, um, you know, their, their costs for everything else has gone up. So it just, it makes it hard to run a business. It makes it very stressful uh, to be a business owner in that space and to keep up on all the, the current things they need to do. Then I come in and freak them out because now there's all this security that they have to add to. Well, let's, let's say that, you know, there's someone like myself who's an engineer and, you know, I, I know a ton of, you know, us that's still sitting in corporate. We may be working you know, at banks or at, within an office. And we say we want to start a side hustle. We want to do something, but we, we've we listened to this podcast and we're inspired by you, Amy. And we want to reach out and offer our skills to, you know, a dental office. What are some of the things that you think uh, engineers can offer that's, you know, pretty specific uh, because you know how engineers are. You give us the keys to the kingdom. We'll lock everything down. So married to one. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> well aware. <laughs> so so what are some of the things that you think engineers can do uh, that can aid uh, what what's going on within compliance and HIPAA and privacy? Um, well, there's a difference between security and cybersecurity. Um, most small practices don't even have basic security in place. Um, anybody in the IT industry or getting into the IT industry, um, there's just been this, this divide between what, uh, what needs to be done and what the doctors are willing to pay for. And Mm. that gap needs to be closed. And I'm trying really hard to close that gap to bring awareness to both sides, but engineers in general, and I don't know if this applies to you too, but engineering type mindset tends to be more people pleasing. You want to be the yes man and, and you don't really want to push too hard against the person that's going to pay you. Uh, so there's that disconnect. And the problem is the doctors aren't Not experts at all. in this. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't understand it. They don't understand what they're asking for. And mm. engineers will just give them what they're asking for at the cost of what they're supposed to have. So, I mean, I see offices that still don't have a firewall or aren't using encrypted email or are using free antivirus. <laughs> You know, it, I, I, can, I can see where that mentality comes from. A lot of times we're in trainings and, you know, it's always hammered into us that there's security for the sake of security and then there's security for the sake of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they hammer it in that you really got to get creative and what they're not willing to pay for. You have to give them multiple solutions and just let them know, hey, 
there comes a point where you need to walk ethically. Um, and, you know, as an engineer, once you kind of recognize what those points are, right, I'm not going to sit around and help facilitate you doing something that's illegal or that, you know, you could actually do better in, right? There's due care and due diligence. And if it passes the code for me, now I got to wash my hands of it. You can pay someone else to do that. Yep. And unfortunately, the uh, the tech space isn't well regulated. And there's, I mean, it's coming. Um, I, I'm a bit worried that it, it might be a little too much for small practices to absorb financially. Um, yeah, I think it will. Um, it, it's also this weird space where you know, as an engineer, you understand you have a specialized skill and small practices a lot of times can't really afford to hire on a full-time engineer, a full-time analyst. Um, you know, the, there's, I, I think engineers and analysts are going to have to be creative and maybe look at more of an uh, MSSP route where they can look at that data within a shared environment. Um but if not, it's going to be really difficult for some of the things that need to happen in order to protect the people's data. Yeah. I mean, like I said, a little bit of common sense goes a really long way. Um, what the, the hackers are going after is businesses that don't have basics in place hmm. and people that don't have a firewall, that have free antivirus, that leave all their Wi-Fi IOT devices connected to the same Wi-Fi. Yeah. They're looking for that low-hanging fruit. And if you know, you're never going to be Fort Knox. No, no small business will ever have the budget to handle that. Uh, but if you can just raise that bar just a little bit higher, that's that's really all that's needed at this point in time. And then continuously making improvements so that you're uh, what was it? Uh, a friend of mine gave me an analogy that you're not the gazelle at the back that you know, mm. the gimpy one that gets eaten easily. <laughs> so that's really, that's really all we're shooting for at this point. And that actually goes a really long way. It, it, I definitely agree with that. So what, what do you have to say to, you know, wow, that, that just lost my thought, my train of thought, <laughs> ran away. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> right. It feeling like a long Tuesday too. And this doesn't get edited out. The The listeners are going to get all of this and they're like, what's wrong with him? <laughs> but, this is um, what happens when people talk to me. It's just information overload. And then your mind starts spinning. And oh, going, don't team. do that to me. <laughs> don't do that. I didn't start spitting back binary at you. That's not fair. I would understand that though. I do speak geek. I speak legal jargon and I can break it all down so the layman can understand it. Okay. That's my superpower. All right. All right. So, okay. Let, let's let um run down, let's run down the road of what do we think happens as the legislation starts changing? Let's, let's say within this perfect world where we start having the people be a little bit more educated. Uh, we have the talent that we need within the cybersecurity industry. And because we do have that talent, uh, it's a little bit more affordable. Describe that landscape. What does it look like for the individual who's actually looking to verify that their data is protected? Like a practice that's wanting to make sure that their patient information or the so I my idea is more so I, you know, I think that within the cybersecurity industry and the security industries in general, we're, we're working towards making a new normal, right? Um, you know, every time a piece of legislation comes out there, it creates a new normal. For example, the uh, GDPR or CCPA, right? They created new normals where it gave um, people who don't even live in Europe control over their data within a lot of companies. Um, so what do you see, what do you foresee becoming the new normal if everything rolls out uh, with privacy as it should within the next five years? I think a lot of businesses are going to have to seriously look at their budgets and mm. invest in something that is part of their foundation. And this, this should be foundational. Um, I know businesses in general tend to avoid 
anything in a budget called risk management. Um, that's not what financial consultants or CPAs tell you, uh, but risk management is absolutely something that, that should be done now. Um, you know, in healthcare, we use the phrase standard of care and everybody understands that things like CPR, I mean, a CPR, when I first learned it 25 years ago is very different from how it's done now. And, um, you know, that standard of care has changed how we handle germs. I mean, clearly the last few years, we didn't learn how germs work apparently uh, because people still keep getting sick. Um, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, did they just tell us to wash our hands as in people weren't washing their goddamn hands? No, people are gross. People are disgusting. <laughs> but, but you also have to admit that it's a little bit bass backwards, right? That businesses aren't willing to pay for something called risk management because all business is is risk management mm -hmm. right Th that's that's all you're in the business of right either it's plausible for you to take this risk it you can afford it or you can't afford it so you mitigate it like all business is is risk management and experimentation so what it, what 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 do you think would happen if that was the message that was pushed back to these small businesses? They oh, I would love it. Um, that's, that's what I've been out there spreading to the masses as much as I can, because it helps in so many ways. It helps with team building. Mm. It helps with HR. It helps with your technology. It, it just helps across the board. And, um, and if you can get everybody in your team to, get on board with something like risk management, it just, it, it permeates into every other aspect of a business. Um, and what, what I found, because I, I still work in the IT company with my husband and, nice. and our whole team, and not as much as I used to, you know, talking to someone about, you know, replacing a printer isn't my favorite thing in the world to do. <laughs> um, it's not the highest and best use of my skill set these days, but I'll, I'll still do it if I need to. Um, but you know, we found that we don't deal with ransomware. We haven't in over 12 years now, wow. and which is huge. And we're not doing anything magical. There's no secret sauce. It's basic business, best practices and common sense. Um, people are on board with things. They're not remoting vendors in to fix things and then making more of a mess for IT later. Um, you have the best behaved clients I've ever heard of. Right. Well, <laughs> education, we started with, with reasonable and appropriate measures and good education. And, okay. um, and we just set things up so that even if they had a new employee that came in and said, well, I'm just going to have this vendor replace, use a dental thing, a crown milling machine, and we're just going to hook it up to the Wi-Fi. Well, if IT does their job right, it can't be connected to the guest Wi-Fi. It won't get to the healthcare information. It's just a guest network. Mm. And so there's there's lots of things that that engineering and technology and IT and MSSPs, um, they can all do certain things to to kind of manage those expectations and to keep the the doctor and the practice and the patient information safe. And it's not that hard. I, I was just going to let you know, I've worked for Fortune 500 companies that have not gotten the education part down that well, right? Um, we were taking Bitcoin miners off of uh, <laughs> work assets. We were, it, you name it, the penetration tests were coming back and saying, hey, you guys are still using FTP. And as a cybersecurity geek, I'm freaking out because I'm like, it's 2018. We're using FTP as in SFTP doesn't exist. We, we don't, it's, I'm losing my, my shit. Literally. I'm like, listen, it's port 22. It's right there. It's one port over <laughs> I'm geeking out, but, um, ease of use versus security and, right. and we want easy to use because it's cheap. <laughs> And that that's one of the things that I've realized with um, larger organizations. So do you think that it may be easier to get smaller businesses in order where their security is a concern and then those businesses grow uh, into larger organizations that had security as a root part of the culture? Or do you think that it's going to um, or do you think the opposite is true that you can help some of these larger businesses 
get on the good foot, even though security wasn't a part of the culture to begin with? It can be done. Um, I've worked with a couple of larger businesses, uh, usually third-party vendors in, in the healthcare space where mm. they're huge. They have access to a lot of patient records across all of their, their customers. And I can get them on board. Uh, it's ironic. I actually just taught a class on communicating with the C-suite and uh, how you have to talk to different people in different ways. You have to talk to management in a different way and you have to talk to a board of directors in a different way and you have to talk to the end user in a different way. And, um, and you can get them all on board. You just have to communicate in their same language. Mm. And there's not a lot of people that can do that. And unfortunately, large organizations, they want to automate it to be cost-effective. And so what they give that, they give up the effectiveness when they have a pre-recorded video. So like for HIPAA, I see most people that have a 20 minute HIPAA video. It's mm -hmm. the same video they've watched five years in a row and it has nothing to do with their specific job. Wow, okay. So, so you would recommend that large organization or small organization, mm -hmm. they get some videos and some training in there that is more specific. Um, would you say specific to the company, specific to the department? How specific should they really be getting? All of the above. I wow. mean, so when I when I teach in the dental space, I have different courses for a hygienist versus a dental assistant versus the front desk versus a doctor. And they all have different things. Um, so like the clinical team, they end up dealing with sound as their biggest issue. Whereas the front desk, they have more administrative and paperwork things that are issues for them and leaving mm. voicemails and appointment reminders and texts coming into them. And there's, there's a lot of variation as to where the, the risks and vulnerabilities are in each specific job role. So it could be per department. Um, it could be per business. It depends on the, the size of the organization. Wow. Okay. I, and I, I love having this conversation with you, right? And this is coming from- Well, the you're geeking out on it. <laughs> no, I, I really am, right? And this is coming from the perspective of somebody who you know, I started an IT consulting firm once upon a time, and I did not last. I had one customer and or one client and they sucked. And I was like, this obviously isn't for me. And I ran in the opposite direction. So it's really cool to hear somebody talk about how it's working out well, you know, um, 18 years. I've been doing this 18 years now. Yeah. I Listen, I, I had one bad punch in the jaw and it was like, I'm done. I don't, I, I don't need this from you people. <laughs> no, I was teaching at a, a college um, in, in my area. I'm in Northern California up in wine country. And um, they, they had a college that had a cybersecurity program. And they brought me in to teach to all these, these students that were about to go and either get jobs themselves or a handful of them said they wanted to start their own consulting companies, uh, IT, MSPs, MSSPs. Um, one of them wanted to do full-on cybersecurity and um and the best advice i gave them was you can have a great relationship with with your customers with your clients you can be you can consider them your your bestie but at the end of the day they pose risk to you and your yeah. reputation and your business and your credibility and when when i first started i i didn't realize that and i had that one thing happen i said look i got to reevaluate life <laughs> i was not prepared <laughs> Um, and since I've opened back up business and worked with clients and, you know, it taught me a valuable lesson, but that's the one where I was not prepared. I, I was geeked out. I had all the information, man, I could have set up, you know, an amazing lab, right? Like we could have set up the, the same type of lab that they have over in, uh, New Mexico and Albuquerque. Right. But, um, the, the, the personality, which is pretty common for people within my field, right? IT people normally introverted. Um, I am too. I know I'm extroverted right now, but I'm, I loved COVID being stuck at home. Okay, tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> so I, if he's stuck at home, this is not an inconvenience. This is amazing. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm an introvert. I think I'm an extrovert that really doesn't like people. <laughs> It, there's actually a title for that. You're an introverted or you're an extroverted introvert and mm. I'm the same way. So I, I do not like networking events. Uh, they make me jittery. 
Um, yeah, it's I, like, why y'all? I don't so like going up to random people and, and getting to know them. Uh, I'm, I have a very small circle of, of true friends that I talk to. And no, I get it. Yeah, it's, it's hard. But in this industry, we are actually stronger together. And even if we're not all on the same page, we, we represent a very large voice in this community and we should be the experts in this field and telling people what it is they need to be doing. So, I mean, any advice for people in this field, in the, in the IT space, in the cyber space, um, you know, there's a fine balance between being the expert and being a jerk about it. That, that <laughs> um, is true. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room and impart your wisdom on everyone, um, but you're being hired because you are really smart at this. So th that's how you know someone has been in the room with the IT professionals because- I'm married to one. I know. That is what we do. It is a, listen, it, it's not a traditional, what you would call big dick contest. It's a big brain contest. <laughs> I'm so playing this for my team. <laughs> Because I true. say that all the time. Yeah. Right. It's, like it's a big brain contest. You tell you, I, okay. In my last job, I had a guy that was literally breaking down the problem he had with IPv4 and the geolocation tagging and how the geolocation tagging that we receive from all of these sources is actually incorrect. And we went back all the way to IANA and the source um, registries to prove that he was right. And I was sitting there like, I could have died and not known this information and my life totally would have fine. been just <laughs> as joyful. <laughs> just as joyful. Yep. We call that going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> right, it, it, like these, what I'm saying is these are the type of guys that will stay up all night watching quantum physics videos and then want to have a conversation about it in the morning. As it, it's a, something like that not quite quantum physics but yeah last night late night and i heard about it this morning like i don't care <laughs> i love like, you but i don't care <laughs> it would have been nice if you invited me to this college uh lecture that you had on your own <laughs> but <laughs> yeah you know his, the mindset is it's so interesting because it it, it provides an environment and I'm so glad that there is an environment now for people of this mindset in, in technology, um, because before, what did they do? I mean, what kind of jobs could they get? They, they huddled. I mean, I, I listened to like people like um, John Strand, who's um, mm -hmm. the owner of Black Hills Information Security. And he was one of the lead, uh, probably still is the lead uh, in, instructor of SANS 504 or 504, yeah, the uh, GCIH, right? Which is the really popular incident handling course. And he talks about how, you know, he picked up all of this stuff on his own and then he just got lucky by working for a company like Northrop Grumman, where he could put a lot of these things into practice because nobody else could do them. And it just allowed him to shine, right? But for most of these guys, I mean, I remember working with guys who had test labs at home and then they'll come to work and they're the superstars at work and then when they get out they're looking at a six-figure job which is really monotonous for them and it's not really allowing them to show off their talents so it it can be a trade-off where you get really intelligent people in a really mundane job where they're just as creative as creative people right they they just have their own sense of creativity it's within designing things that you know they sometimes don't know if it will work or not <laughs> but they want to try it anyway so if you're an engineer and you're doing anything like that i really suggest you get a test lab and i really suggest you do as many things on your own as you can uh That's you mentioned something <laughs> it, it is you mentioned earlier that you uh did a class on how to communicate with the c levels and i'm assuming you said you know you went c levels and then manager to you know your um working force uh what would you say that was the key takeaways from that because i need some pointers <laughs> um well there's there's different communication styles uh first of all some people are different kinds of learners um you have your visual learners you have your audio learners um and some people just want to be 
talk to. Some people want to talk to read or read to talk. Um, some people want graphics. Um, you know, it's taken me a lot of years to figure out that I have to do a combination of those and wow. read the room. So for a C-suite, they want to know about the money. How does it impact the bottom line? How does it uh, impact profits? How does it impact, you know, bonuses, profit sharing, all of those things. And sometimes you get someone in the C-suite that really focuses on the overall experience. And mm. that that's the person I love within the C-suite because they understand everything holistically. And they're usually, um, we call them the 30,000 footers that can also be on the ground level. So you've got the ground level people, you've got the 5,000 foot view people, and you've got the 30,000 foot view people. And if you get someone that's truly at 30,000 feet, they can bounce between those three levels easily. Nice. And you can communicate with them at any level and they'll understand it. Um, if you're having to talk to the managers, it's really about uh, production. And at the end of the day, are they going to meet their goals or their quotas or whatever else, what other metrics they have in there for their, their team? And then for the end users, can they not get written up? Like that's really their main focus is how do I not get written up or fired? <laughs> I, I love the way that you put that because it really does become, does this make my life harder? Mm -hmm. And please don't make it make my life any harder. And that that is usually what we are asking uh, people in compliance for. Please don't hand me down any more checklists. Um, and that that's also something that I realized, you know, as an engineer is that there can be even though we're in the same industry, we can work in the same department of security. Um, you know, there can be such a language barrier between programmers and sysadmins and sysadmins and people who do compliance. So what's one of the things that you would recommend to someone who is interested in security, but they're not sure which path they're going to go down? Take some classes, get some certifications because you'll find out really quickly in, in any of those, uh, whether it's interesting to you or not. Mm -hmm. uh, like for me, when I got my, my healthcare certification with ISC squared, I realized I don't want to get my cyber certification that mm -hmm. has no interest to me at all. And I learned that after buying the book and starting to look through it. And I said, nope, this is not my area of expertise. I recognize that. I don't want to do this. I want to leave this to people that are far better and far smarter at this. And in all honesty, it's not that they're far better and far smarter. It's that they enjoy punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my own punishments and what I do. <laughs> no, seriously, I've, I've sat down some days and go, why am I in this field? I really would like something simple. Nothing is simple. Every day is complicated. Um, but does it you know, feel rewarding? Yes, and that's that's exactly that's what you it love is, it. right? Yeah, it's yep. there's something about sifting through complexity to find something that makes sense. It's like you get obsessed with making something make sense. Yep. Right? That's that's what it was for me. It's like I I really jumped in, and you know, if I'm seeing a bunch of port numbers come across the screen, and I see port forty four forty four, I was like, mm, that that doesn't make sense. Let's make it make sense. Right. And it's like a dog chasing a bone. And once I figured it out, I'm good for the day. Um, I kind of do the same thing, except I, I do it more with people and, mm. and finding where the vulnerabilities are with the people. Oh, who's, who's not answering the phone the right way, or who's not looking who's in the waiting room first before repeating back a credit card number on the phone. And, See, and yeah. The, yeah, same thing. The, the problem is with me is when you get engineers that do that we once had a, a breach and um we had you know i think it was 150,000 records go out through a gmail and i'm i'm looking at the autopsy report right autopsy is a uh uh defer tool and a forensics tool for software for those of you listening so i'm looking at the autopsy report i ran the autopsy report I know what I'm doing. So now when he's standing in front of us saying, no, I didn't do that. Now I'm like, dude, you're calling me stupid. <laughs> right. 
It's, it's, you have the audit log and the whole point of having technology is to have proof of who did what and when. Right. And it's, and that's what my problem can be with dealing with the people is like, you're telling me that the technology is wrong, but it's never wrong. It doesn't make mistakes like you do. <laughs> and I know that sounds very Sheldon Cooper-ish. No, it, it needs to happen though. Um, I mm. actually have a really great story for you. Um, I, I'm glad that you do because it's time for story for a story. All right. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I guess that's what we're doing now. Yeah, um, no, we were going to roll into it, but I'm glad okay. you, you opened it up. Okay. Um, so I had an office that had just started working with them and um, brand new doctor. She had just bought the practice and um, she started looking at the, the financials and something wasn't quite right. And so I get a panic call from the, this new business owner, this new doctor at it's like seven in the morning. And she said, I just got to the office. Someone broke in, they stole a laptop, looks like a handful of paper charts and they just wrecked the office. Can you get here? I'm two hours away and I'm still in my pajamas. So I'm like, yep, I'll be there in a minute. Let me at least brush my teeth first. <laughs> and because it's a dentist, I should at least do that common hygiene thing. And I get there and the office manager is not quite acting right. Something was a little bit off, but she was very convincing. Um, it, it turns out that she had been embezzling for a long time and keeping oh. detailed records um, in her own paper record in her own chart, they still had paper charts and they were, they were hybrid. They were moving toward digital at the time. This was a number of years ago. So I assume they're fully digital now. Um, and I were going through everything and I get a call from, uh, from it saying, Hey, I don't really want to tell you this, but it looks like the office manager's cell phone auto-connected to the staff Wi-Fi about two in the morning. Wasn't that the time that you said that they were broken into? And so the technology showed that her phone auto-connected. You know, we always say home is where the Wi-Fi auto-connects. That's, that's why we set up a staff Wi-Fi, one of many reasons. Yeah. Um, and so I went over to the police officer who was still there, told him what we had as far as our audit trails from the technology perspective. And they went to the gas station across the street, got the video surveillance, and it showed this person's uh, car in the parking lot at the same time as... Wow the Wi-Fi auto-connected. So we had two pieces of evidence against this person. And we were able to recover the other paper records in the laptop that were uh, taken and they had not been duplicated or copied or disseminated. So uh, wow. we didn't have to notify everyone in that case, but it was, it was just another situation where we could show that your, your people are very important, but there's always a failure point. And same, same with your process and, and even your technology could have a failure point. But in this case, it was the safety net that showed who did what and when. And unfortunately, a lot of what I deal with in HIPAA is either having so much information that the absence of information proves your innocence or guilt, or you just having an, an, a huge burden to prove that you're innocent or guilty. Mm. And you know, what's really interesting about that is that you hear, if you're in the field as a new cybersecurity analyst, you might uh, be in a position where you're taking notes, right? Um, or you have a logbook. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure most uh, people that work for companies aren't doing logbooks, but if you're in the military, you're probably doing the logbook still. And all of that stuff is still relevant because uh, some of these things do end up going as far as they go. I think I already told you the story about the uh, data breach with the guy. So we won't tell that story, but um, <clears throat> it was a little bit after that. And, you know, we get the call in, it says, hey, we got a website defacement. It's like, okay, well, how bad is it, right? So they go, hey, just uh, use your, use your uh, test laptop and go to the address. It pulls up and it's a Russian porn site, right? <laughs> so like, this isn't just a website defacement. This is horrible, right? Like horrendous. So we do all the digging, we figure out when it happened, we figured out how it happened, right? We figured out that they were actually doing some, you know, 
SQL injection and they were uh, injecting and dropping new index files into uh, the directory that pulls up the page. So now instead of it pulling up the index for home, it was pulling up this Russian porn site. So we figured out when everything was uh, dropped and we were trying to figure out, hey, why don't we just shut down the server? Why don't we do this? And this is where I started to learn your expert opinion does not matter to the business. What matters to the business is the business, right? Um, and it was a really humbling experience because I'm sitting there as the person who figured out all of the things. And I'm like, hey, we should just shut this server down. You guys don't want to use this server anyway. Um, and they're like, well, no, this, this, uh, company wants us to keep it up, you know, for X amount of time until, you know, this happens. I'm like, but it's a security concern that is posing a problem to your brand. And they're like, no, no. And th this is where they explained it to me. It wasn't posing a problem to the major brand. It was posing a problem to a subsidiary brand that was purchased during a merger. So whether or not that brand gets associated with Russian porn is not a concern of the main business. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> so they you, left it up. They, they left it until uh, I think it stayed up for about three months. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, I wish I could say I, I have stories that are just, you know, these magical unicorns where it's super quick and easy, but everyone screws up when it comes to this. I mean, the, the number one thing I see right now is IT providers and MSPs, they're, they're being told by their customers that, well, we got ransomware, so we need you to get us back up as quickly as possible. And what what the tech people do is they end up deleting useful forensic information. And unfortunately, it's a crime scene when when you're actively dealing with ransomware. Um, it, it is absolutely a crime scene and turning computers off and deleting data is actually illegal. Can we can we have a moment to talk about how easy it is to have a hot site ready to go in the cloud? right you it, it's not difficult you can do this so the fact that ransomware is still kind of messing us up the way that it's messing us up is mind-boggling to me because it's it should be a simple thing right we should have our backups ready to go we should have you know physical backups for you know those people who still need that and then we should have some stuff set up in the cloud right and you know some obvious demarcation so that you're not infecting your cloud but i i, I don't know it, it, it's a very complicated and not so complicated issue at the same time and the the complicated part just really comes into what to scope when you think about what's affordable and what like you said what people are willing to pay for what these companies are willing to pay for they have to ask themselves is this reasonable and appropriate Wow. Given given the climate, given the exposure risk, um, given the likelihood that they could fall for it, um, you know, the the problem I have is most of my outliers in healthcare, uh, the practice management systems or electronic medical records programs they have are antiquated, mm. and so they're mostly on prem, and uh, you know, where I deal with a lot of dental, it's a lot of image there it's image acquisition heavy they're taking x-rays all day every day they're taking mm. 3d nanos cone beams huge images and it's not that easy to run all of these systems on cloud and most of the technology is 15 years behind the rest of the world so are you are you running into like a lot of stenography attacks and a lot of data exfil attacks in that environment <laughs> Yes. So a lot of those, uh, they don't have firewalls. And so they're, they're exfiltrating all the data out of them. Um, often they're coming through wireless devices or uh, medical devices. I know the hospitals, they get a huge amount of press on uh, infusion pumps. 
where those get compromised all the time because they're they're old software. It's really easy to hack into them. You know, if you look at a small independent practice, they've got Sonos speakers and they've got Nest thermostats and they've got, you know, a bunch of other wireless devices and, and then they've got all their healthcare wireless devices. So like a, think like an orthodontist has a, a scanner an a image scanner to 3d scan your mouth to give you Invisalign retainers. Mm. That's a wireless device. And often those are not secured. And so how do you protect all of that? It just puts more pressure on, on the, the IT provider, the MSPs. And it's, it's not that hard. It's, it's segmentation. You do wireless segmentation and call it a day. And then if one device is compromised, it's this big of a problem and not a massive problem. Right. And I've had that. I've also had someone with the Nest thermostat on the same Wi-Fi as the entire network and the hackers were able to pull the entire medical records of all of their patients. So and, is, yeah. is this before or after the target breach? Because when, when you said Nest thermostat, it immediately reminded me of the HVAC wireless uh -huh. entry into target. That was a beautiful one, wasn't it? it <laughs> I mean, some if the, you look at it holistically from, from a hacker perspective. Right. Some of these things you look at and you go, these hackers are creative. Like, right. You got to give them a, a little pop. It, like, like I say that with the people OPM like breach when you, when you look at the, the nation state actor that's responsible for the OPM breach and the skill that it takes for them to realize if we breach all of the data where all of the regular military personnel come in and we figure out who those people are, we could figure out who all the agents in our country are. And you're sitting there like, that's why my data is on the dark web. Hmm? That that's, that's why, that's why my data is on the dark web. Hmm. I don't want to say the name, but APT one. <laughs> Isn't it fun? And, and, you know, as a business owner, I, I have two businesses right now, and I, I have to think about that with my identity for sale and it's been out there forever and I, still people try to do things with it. Um, I had someone a couple months ago, try to extend my cell phone account and add extra lines to it, but because I have extra protections and extra passphrases and pin codes and things like that, all of it, it. Just, I, I, I use all of it every authenticator, every three pin code, text it to me, not you're, you're, you're hundred percent on. Okay. So last question, what there's for anybody out there listening and they're saying, I want to join the fight. I want to be like Amy when I grow up and I want to help these small businesses. Um, they may already be certified or they may already have some skills. How do you recommend that they get involved with, um, you know, helping these small businesses reach compliance and actually present a more secure service to their uh, customers and clients. Be real with them. Um, you know, when you're communicating with people, uh, just reasonable and appropriate and mm -hmm. work your way up from there. Um, don't use scare tactics, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I mean, yeah, this stuff is all scary and there's a lot of uncertainty and doubt in it, but using, using those tactics is horrible. Um, and it doesn't build trust. It, it you're just forcing them into paying you and it's a transaction. It's not a relationship. Mm. Um, and I personally, I, I don't like that. I, I think it disincentivizes the the um, business owner from and, and the end user from actually embracing this um, and then get your hands on as much information as you can uh, and the credible sources not just someone's opinion of it um, certifications are great there's various places uh, kind of the gold standard is is the one that I have with ISC squared it's really 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 hard um, but anybody that can get any of those certifications uh, you can kind of do anything anywhere um, and and just sure. stay on top of what's actually happening. I mean, I attend conferences all year long. I, I have various boards and meetings and uh, a lot of volunteering of my time and expertise uh, to try to help move the industry forward so that people are actually embracing this instead of resisting it. 
it's actually cheaper that way too. Yeah, it, it really is, right? Like we're, I, I think everybody within IT and cybersecurity, we're trying to learn how to be the nice people. <laughs> because... You can be nice, but you can be firm. And as a female, I, I struggle with that because my, my tone and inflection, I, I come across as really bitchy. Uh, but No, you don't. <laughs> I'm actually a really nice person, but I've been told that a lot, that, that my tone, um, I come across as kind of rude and, and mean. And it's like, no, that's because I care. I care about the end result. And this is my mom voice coming out. I care about how this works. I, I'm usually going for like um, a really dark skinned version of Guilfoyle from Silicon Valley. <laughs> that's, that's usually what I'm shooting for. Um, okay, yeah. and then how can people reach out to you, Amy? How can they work with you if they decide that, you know what, I want to open up this uh, dentist office. It's time. Uh, I know nothing about dentistry, but I, I have the money to invest and I'm going to call up Amy. What's going on? Sure. So uh, the website is uh, copperpennyconsulting.com. And yeah, yeah, it's actually named after my youngest daughter. Uh, I have all redheads and her her name is Penelope. We've always called her Copper Penny. Um, try really hard to focus on the fact that it's uh, really unique and not that it costs more to create that Copper Penny than the denomination that it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, there, so there's a why behind the business name. It's we we wanted it to be something unique and different, uh, and and special because there's not a lot of people doing things the way that we are. And wow. I, I truly believe that people can have the high level stuff at their disposal um, for a minimal price. You know, mm. it's it's a reasonable and appropriate investment in the protection of their business and their practice. Um, and our phone number, our email, all of that is on there on our website. So I'm just going to direct you to the website because I can't remember the phone number off the top of my head. <laughs> that, with that, and that's perfectly fine. So for those of you listening, go check out Penny. We're going to have our copperpenny.com. <laughs> Sorry. Go check out Amy on Copper Penny, <laughs> right? And go be great.